Okay, I didn't get to preach this morning because we called off the morning service uh, due to some things. And uh, Margaret, would you close the door, please? Um, and uh, so I've got a lot of vigor tonight, a lot of passion. So maybe a little more than, than normal in the South. I don't know. Um, been reading some excerpts from a very good book, Dr. Paul Brand. He's a Christian and a surgeon. Um, he wrote a book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Any of you ever seen this book? Um, he catalogs the, the genius and the complexity and the wonders of the human body. Um, it truly is fascinating if you've ever done much study about the human body. Many of you may not know. You know, sometimes I think we assume that scientists know a lot. You know, I had a, I had a physicist from uh, Texas A&M one time come to this church, and I asked him, I said, how much do we know? Do we know 50% of what's knowable? Of course, it's an impossible question to answer, right? But I said, how much do we know? Or is it, is it 80% of what's possible to know? He said, we don't know 1%. He said, we don't know 1% of what's possible to know. And uh, so this guy, you know, you may not know, but scientists and doctors don't really know a lot about how the body works. They know a lot, but not all. They, there's still a lot of mysteries to the, to the human body. One of the mysteries is, is sight. And biochemists have re only recently begun to try to understand how this works. And I, what I'm going to do is I've shared this with you before, but I want to share it with you again. I just like to give you free stuff, okay? This is just free stuff, okay? Uh, it has a little bit to do with the sermon, but this is just free, okay? No charge. But this is what's happening when you're seeing me, okay? When the light first strikes the retina, a photon interacts with a molecule called 11 cystretinal which rearranges within picoseconds. Now, how many of you know what a picosecond is? What is a picosecond? Huh? Okay, it's, well, that's probably correct. Uh, all I know is, all I know is, it's the time it takes for, for light to travel across the breadth of a human hair. Picosecond, okay? So, uh, it, in, within picoseconds, it, it, tra it changes to transretinol. The change uh, in the shape of the, uh, retinol molecule forces a change in the shape of the protein rhodopsin to which the retinol is tightly bound. The protein's metamorphosis alters its behavior. Now it's called meta-rhodopsin 2. The protein stack, uh, sticks to another protein called transducin which interacts with a molecule called GDP. Blah, 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 blah. But you didn't know all that was going on, did you? You know, when I read stuff like this, it makes me worship. <laughs> when I read stuff like this, it makes me worship, for we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. There's another great, there's, there's so many, but I'm going to give you another one. DNA, you guys know what DNA is, right? You've heard about uh, uh, deoxyribonucleic acid. It's uh, the 100,000 gene software that's in every single cell of your body. Every single one. And if you take all the DNA in your body, it's so narrow and compact. If you take it all, you could fit it all into an ice cube. But if you stretched it out, if you unwound it and stretched it out, it would go to the earth and the sun uh, back and forth uh, 400 times. This is the software that runs your body. This is the awesome software that God has put in the body. And I don't even want to get started on the brain and consciousness. You know, if you guys are still, uh, you know, entertaining macro-Darwinism, um, you, you need to think again. You need to get caught up on the science. But you need to read this book. This is an awesome book by Lee Strobel, Case for Creator. 
Uh, it's just a tremendous book. And Lee Strobel quotes uh, Dr. J.P. Morton. Listen to what he says. He said, There will never be a scientific explanation for the mind and for consciousness. To explain something scientifically, you have to, you've got to show why the effect or phenomenon had to happen, given the cause. And scientists cannot explain the why behind consciousness because there is no necessary connection between the physical brain and consciousness. The chapter in here on consciousness, it'll make you get on your face and worship your creator. Okay, it's awesome stuff. It's awesome stuff. I challenge you to read that book. It's a great, it's a great book. So suffice what David said in Psalm 139, 14. He says, I will give thanks to thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. Christian, do you know it? Do you know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you know that this hoax, this, the greatest scientific hoax ever perpetrated on man, it's worse than the flat earth theory. And trust me, one day it will be shown for what it is. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to go back to Dr. Brand's book. He talks about a woman he saw in Madras, India, she was a beggar, and she was at the train station, and uh, she was sitting there, and she had this huge, grotesque tumor sticking out from her side. It was just a fat tumor, and he said it was equal to the, the rest of her body weight. The body weight of the tumor was equal to the rest of her body weight, and of course, she exposed this to gain pity, right? And he said that this tumor was, was quite uh, plump and sleek, and it was prospering at her expense. She was starving to death. And that was her prognosis, that she would starve to death. Now, you guys know what a fat cell does, right? You know what a fat cell does. Everybody know? A fat cell, it contains a yellow globule of oil, one tiny molecule of nutrition. And when the body calls for it, the fat cell is supposed to give it up. That's the way it's supposed to work. But what happened with this woman was her fat cells were in mutiny. Her fat cells were disloyal. Her fat cells were disobedient. They were taking in, but they were not giving out. They were taking in, but they were not giving out. And she was starving to death. And Dr. Brand writes this, I've removed such tumors, and they appear to be healthy fat cells, bulging with shiny oil, except for one flaw. They've become disloyal, and they disregard the body's commands. The beggar in Madras gradually will starve to death while the fat tumor continues to engorge itself. He, he, he writes, continues, Mutant cells are always a concern in the body. While some are benign in effect, others are malignant. Physicians fear no other malfunction more deeply than this. Do you know what it's called? Cancer. A cell who begins to operate unilaterally. <laughs> Who, who begins to dis, disregard its software and the commands coming from the brain. It's called cancer. Now, some of you have already put two and two together. You've already figured out why I'm talking about the, the, uh, the incredible wonders of the human body and why I'm talking about uh, disloyal cells. Some of you put this together. You know we're in the middle of a series about loving and serving the body. And you heard the text read about uh, being a part of the body. So you know... You know where I'm going with this. You know this biblical metaphor that God has to describe His people, the human body. So you know where I'm going to go with this. You know where I'm going. It's a beautifully complex design that God has for His church. He likens it to the human body. This amazing organism that He has created. We are one body. Yes, we are diverse. Yes, we have many different gifts. 
We have tremendous diversity and differing functions, but we are one body. We are one body. And Dr. Brand's illustration is, is graphic here. <coughs> Mutant cells. Cells who don't obey the head. And who's the head, of the, who's the head of the body? And who's the head of the church? Cells who do not obey the head cause damage in the body. Cause damage in the body. Disobedient, dis disloyal members of the body, they are a threat to the, the function of the body, the purpose of the body, and the life of the body. And you know where I'm going with this. I'm going to challenge you. Are you obeying the head in this body? Are you obeying Jesus Christ in this body? He's brought you here. He sovereignly brought you here. You know, we're going to look at that text in a minute. It talks about how God sovereignly puts the, the, people, the, the people in the church that He wants in the church at that time. God's brought you here to serve the body. But a malfunctioning but benign member simply takes in and never gives out. Friends, that's not healthy. That's not what we're called to as Christians. It's, it's like that tumor in that woman. It's going to kill her. It's going to starve her to death. Because it's just taking in, but it never gives out. We're called, if, we're gonna, if we call ourselves Christians, we're called to give to the body. I mean, that's just how it is. That is the reason for the biblical metaphor. So the tumor in this woman, it gets fatter and fatter and fatter, and she gets weaker and weaker and weaker and emaciated, and, and ultimately her body is grossly deformed, and ultimately it dies. Do you see the significance here? Do you see where I'm going with this? You're just like that fat cell in the human body. You have a job to do in this body. And when you move away, whatever body you join next, you have a job to do in that body. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every Christian has a ministry. Everyone. Every Christian has a gift, and every Christian has a ministry. You're supposed to be, you know, that software in you, that DNA in you, it's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's supposed to be hearing from the head, and you're supposed to be submitting to the directions. And you're supposed to be ministering in the body. Okay? You're supposed to be ministering in the body. And of course, there's always those overtly malignant cells, and they are false teachers and counterfeit Christians. They profess to be Christians, but they're really not. And they're just in the body, and they do damage. And false teachers do damage in the body. And this is my third message on loving and serving one another. It's the series that flowed out of 1 John. We know what 1 John told us, that true Christians love the brethren. Not with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. We don't talk about it. We don't simply talk about it. We do it. We do it. It's, our, it's part of our lifestyle. It's hands-on. It's practical. It's pragmatic. It's useful. It's helpful. It's concrete. Let me ask you, friend, is that what your service looks like in this body? Or are you just receiving? Are you simply receiving? Or are you giving back in accordance with the plan of God in accordance to the head of the body. Thus far in the series, we've simply tried to lay the groundwork for how we can, as fallen human beings, uh, love and serve one another as Jesus has called us to. He's called us to love and serve one another as He has loved us. Seems impossible. Sounds impossible. But this is what He's called us to. And God has called us to lay our lives down for the brethren. We've talked about this many, many times. I'm going to say it to you one more time. How do we lay our lives down in the body? 
You know, we're not going to be martyred in Western Europe. Most people think, well, that's what that means, so I'm off the hook on that verse. No, that verse is about you laying your life down in love and service to this body. That's what that verse is about. That's what that's about. You're supposed to lay your life down in love and serve of, of this body, of your brothers and sisters in this body. That's what Jesus is calling you to, laying your life down, loving this body and serving it. So we set the foundation. The foundation was, was the first thing, uh, Romans eleven thirty three. It's that worship of Paul. We've glimpsed God. We are, we, are, are, we are in shock that He's loved us like this, that He's redeemed us like this. We can't believe it. And we saw this worship of Paul, and, and this worship has to be vented, and, he, and he, he bridges from worship right into application. Romans 12, 1, lay your lives down as living sacrifices. This is what happens when, when, when you truly see God, you fall in love with Him, you can't help but worship Him, and adoration is flowing up in your heart, and you can't help and you need to vent this worship. And God says, here's how you vent that worship. You love my people. You lay your life down in the body. That's what that means. You know, it's like that MacArthur quote I gave you last week. You know, uh, laying our lives down as living, it's not, it's not going to a monastery, friends. It's loving your brothers and your sisters. That's what it is. Expensively, costly, even when it's hard, even when it's awkward, even when it's inconvenient. Loving my brothers and loving my sisters. That's uh, Romans 12, 1. And secondly, we talked about uh, uh, also in, in Romans 12, 2, that we submit ourselves to the Word of God and, and we submit ourselves to the teaching of the Spirit and He renews our minds and we are changed. Our minds are changed. If we're still thinking like the world and prioritizing like the world, we'll never love and serve the body of Christ. Never. It will never happen. Only if you are in the Word and you're being changed by the Word will you have e even have the desire to love and serve the body of Christ. If you're still, still thinking like the world and prioritizing like the world you're never going to do what God's called you to do, which is to love and serve the body of Christ. And then lastly, last week we talked about uh, that God calls us to radical humility. You heard uh, the text being read. You heard Luke read the text. What did he say? He said, don't think of yourself uh, higher, more highly than you ought. We talked a lot about that last week. We are called to radical humility. 1 Peter chapter 5, we're to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. These are just, this is the groundwork before we can even begin, okay? To love and serve the body. Philippians 2, 3, With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. So humility is the fruit of the first two points. It's the fruit of genuinely encountering God, and it's the fruit of spending time in the Word and being taught by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has laid the groundwork for us, and we get to verse 4 of chapter 12, and God says, You're my body. Here comes the metaphor, which is repeated many times in Scripture, in the New Testament. It's, it's never even mentioned in the Old Testament. And I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. So I want to read uh, Romans chapter 12, 4 and 5. Let me just reread that. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members uh, do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So we see Paul Bridge. What happens? Doxology, you know, biblical theology, it yields up doxology. Doxology will yield up giving ourselves over as a living sacrifice. And we'll love the church. You know, doxology, doxology just manifests itself in the life. It always does if it's genuine. True praise, true worship will manifest itself in your fingers, in your feet, on your tongue. 
as you love the body. It's, a, it's kind of a divine calculus. Anybody know what the word calculus actually means? One of the definitions, and I really like this, I looked it up. A higher mathematics dealing with rates of change. I thought, man, that's perfect. This is a divine calculus. God is calling us to be changed. Now, we, 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 uh, we talked about that John Piper quote either last week or the week before. I think it was actually last week. You remember when, when Piper said, Christians devote their lives to being changed. Let me ask you, friend, is that a priority for you? Is that a priority for you? Then he goes on, they don't throw away their spiritual birthright by coasting. Is anybody coasting in here tonight? You lose. You lose. If you're coasting with Christ, you lose. And this body loses. I love that quote. I think it's very, very good. So, if we're in Christ, change is never not happening. We are perpetually being changed by the Word and by the Spirit. So an authentic Christian does not coast. He's devoted to pursuing Christ. And we have this, this divine Word-driven calculus. And here it is. Awe equals worship, equals sacrifice, equals transformation, equals humility, and equals serving the body. Don't tell me you love God if you're not serving the body. Don't tell me you do. Because if you really do, you will serve the body. This is the biblical model. This is what God says. <laughs> this, is what my, this is how my people live. This is how my people do business, the Lord says. Genuine awe and worship will manifest itself in practical, tangible, useful, functional, physical ways in the body of Christ. And I love what James 1.27 says. You guys know this verse. Pure and unadulterated Christianity in the sight of God is to what? Sit in the church and, and uh, be pious? Is that what it says? No. What does it say? To visit orphans and widows in their distress. In other words, true worship is serving my body. True worship is going and, 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 and coming alongside. True worship is, is, is ministering to that's true worship. It's not that what we're doing in here is not part of worship. But what we do in here should feed what we do out there in the body. Loving and serving one another in a selfless and sacrificial way. I want to spend just a few minutes talking about this human body metaphor in the New Testament. Again, it's, it's not mentioned in the Old Testament. There are three metaphors in the Old Testament uh, where God talks about His people Israel. Does anybody know what they are? He talks about a bride, He talks about a vineyard, and He talks about a flock. He doesn't talk about a human body. But you come to the New Testament and it's, it's changed. It's changed. Now the bride and the vineyard and the flock, they're all mirrored in the New Testament, but what's brand new, what's brand new is this body metaphor. This is a concept that didn't exist in the Old Testament. You say, so what? So this. This is a picture of our unique position in Christ. Okay? We are in Christ. And Christ is in us. We're one. John chapter 17. We are one with the Son of God. This is much more intimate than the images of the Old Testament. We are the body of Christ and He is our head. I want to turn over just real quickly to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope you, if you have your Bible, you'll turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
And I'm just going to read uh, verses uh, 12 and 14. 12 to 14. Listen to what Paul says. For even as the body is one, and yet, and what I want to do is I read this, I want you to listen for one word that's going to be repeated six times, and I want you to tell me what word it is. One word's going to be repeated six times. For even as the body is one, and yet uh, has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew uh, or Greek, whether slave or free. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. What was the word you heard six times? One. We're to be one. We're to be one with one another. We're to be one with one another. And we're to be one with Jesus. And yes, this body, particularly this body, uh, during many different seasons of, of the life of this church, is very diverse. Uh, we've had 50 nations come through this church in the last four and a half years, but we are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. We are diverse. We have many different functions, but we are to function as one. We are to function as one. We're not supposed to be like that fat cell off doing its own thing, just receiving, just receiving, just receiving, but never giving. It's cancer. That's what cancer does. That's what cancer does. It's not what a healthy member or cell of a human body will do. The human body is this marvelously complex organism. And I can't even begin to, to talk about all the different, you know, all the different parts and cells and functions. It's, it's just astonishing. But there's this interrelatedness. There's this interdependency. There's this interconnectedness, right? And we're supposed to mirror that here in this body. Listen, to, I'm going to continue to read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If, if, if the whole were hearing, uh, where would the sense of smell be? Verse 18, but God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. You're here because He sovereignly brought you here to serve this body. Not to just receive. And praise God, we all receive, don't we? Awesome. We all receive. But he brought you here to use your gift as well. Verse 19. And, and if, if they were all one member, uh, where would the body be? Verse 20. But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, is it much true that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Verse 24, For whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Verse 25, That there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. There it is. And if one member suffers, all suffer with it. But if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Verse 27, Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. God has sovereignly placed each member in the body. Did you hear the text? 
as He desired. And not one member can't say to another, I have no need of you. I have no need of you. Each member's function is vital. There are no insignificant Christians in the body of Christ. And you're supposed to bring your gift and use it. And if you don't know what your gift is, we'll probably talk about that next week. But you have one, whether you're using it or not. You have one, and you're supposed to be using it for my edification. And I'm supposed to be using my gift for your edification and your encouragement and helping to build you up. All the members of the body are to operate in loyal concert to one another. Every single member is necessary. Every single member is necessary. Every single, there's not one that is insignificant. Now, could there be anything less significant in a human body than a fat cell? Can you think of anything that might be less significant? I mean, it's got so much bad press, right? And people spend tons of money to get rid of those little rascals, right? So what could be more insignificant than a fat cell? But you remember what happens when the fat cell doesn't receive its directions and obey. You remember what happens. It's called cancer. And it, and it, uh, it harms the body and can ultimately kill the body. One disloyal fat cell. One disobedient, mutinous fat cell who refuses to do what it was called to do can start the body down the road of disorder, disease, deformity, and ultimately death. Friends, do you, are you getting the power of the metaphor here? You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak in metaphors for no reason. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us something. God has sovereignly placed you in this body, and He means for you to love and serve it. You say, well, Jim, I'm just passing through. I got a lot going on. I know. But you're here to serve this body and you're here to love this body. You know, one of the hard things about an international church is people um, have a hard time buying in because they just think, well, I'm just passing through. You know, it doesn't really matter. I'm just kind of, I'll just back off my Christianity for a year or two. You know, I get this a lot. I hear this a lot. Jim, I'm just passing through, man. <laughs> like I told you, uh, a couple of weeks, oh, actually probably a year or so ago now, you're never off the clock with Jesus Christ. You're never off the clock in the body of Christ. You're always on the clock. You're always on the clock. And He means for you to use your gift here. He means, to be a part of, he means for you to be a part of what, you, what uh, He's doing here. John MacArthur says it this way, a Christian who does not have a ministry in the body is a contradiction. You know, I like the word oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. To say you're a Christian and you have no ministry in the body. Biblically, that's just not right. That's not what the Bible says about a Christian. And I know there are a lot of, of non-biblical Christians walking around, you know, just religious men and women, just, but they don't really know Christ. They don't love Christ. They're not really following Christ. They don't really order their life in accordance with the Word of God. But biblical Christians are to have a ministry and they're to use it the Bible is clear. Christ is the head. Ephesians 5.23 Christ is the head of the church. Colossians 1.18 He is the head of the body. The church. Christ is the head. And He's sending instructions to you and to me. And He means for you to respond. And He means for you to feed and serve and encourage and love the body. That's why He brought you here. 
That's why he brought. Some of you think, well, I'm here to go to school, or I'm here to make, uh, you know, for my job, or I've said this to you many times, or I'm here to do this, or I'm here to do that. No, you're here to love and serve this body. You're here to make much of Jesus. You're here to, to proclaim Him in this place. That's what you're here to do. Now, you, have, you may have other things you have to do while you're here, but preeminently you're here. This is God's errand for you. So let me ask you, Christian friend, are you obeying His instructions to you? Are you being loyal to Him? Are you being obedient to His call? Are you functioning in the body as He's called you to function in the body? Are, or are you cancer in the body? So Jim, that's pretty harsh, but this is the metaphor. This is the metaphor. We're either functioning like we're supposed to or we're not. You know, it's, it's always this way in Christianity. There's no, there's no, there's no gray place to be. You know, you're either with Jesus or you're not. And you're obeying Him or you're not. There's no middle ground. There's no middle place to be. And this, as I say to you so often, Adam goes, you say that all the time. This is Christianity 101. This is fundamental. We're supposed to know this. This is not rocket science. We're supposed to know this and we're supposed to be serious about doing this. Adam goes, you say that all the time. Well, it is. It's foundational. It's fundamental. And I want to remind you there are no insignificant members in the body. Paul says it's much true that the members of the body which seem weaker and less honorable are, are necessary and worthy of more honor. I was going to say something, but I'll come back to it in a minute. Friends, the idea here, and I want you to hear this, the idea here is that every service to the body of Christ is service to Christ. You got that? You know, uh, you know sometimes we ask for volunteers to do things, and, and, uh, and we don't get one. And I, always, I scratch my head and I go, hey man, that's an opportunity to serve Christ. You know, I have people say, I can't believe the pastor's coming to Famagosta to pick me up. Well, for one thing, I love it. I love meeting people and I love talking to the people. But it does press me sometimes to get back here and get set up on time. But you know what? I get the blessing. I get the reward. Because I'm serving the, Christ, the body of Christ. I'm making it possible for people to come who can't get out here to, to come here and worship Jesus. Friends, the reward waits for me. My reward waits for me. It's a big deal with Jesus. You remember what he said in Matthew 25, and I love this passage. I'm just going to turn real quick to Matthew 25. I don't know how long I've preached. I, I didn't look at my watch, so it's bad for you. <laughs> but, but I'm almost finished. Almost. But, but if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 25. And, and Jesus says, the Son of Man, He's going to come in His glory. I'm at verse 31. And the angels are going to come with Him and He's going to be sitting on His glorious throne and all the nations will be before Him. And He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Verse 34 of chapter 25 of Matthew. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's why I go to Famagosta. That's why. Listen to what he says. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we do all of these things? Verse 40, And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these uh, brothers of mine, even the least of them, what does it say? You did it to me. We're talking about Christians here. That's what it means. Brothers of mine. I'm not talking about the world at large. Yes, we're to love and serve the world at large, but we are to particularly love and serve the body of Christ. And Jesus says, I'll reward my servants who do that because they're doing it to me. Hey, when I go to Famagosta, I'm picking Jesus up. I'm picking Jesus up. Friends, if you get this in your head, <laughs> uh, if you learn to think like this, love and service becomes like, man, I can't wait. I can't wait to go serve somebody. I'll be serving Jesus. I'll be serving Jesus. Even when I do it to the least of them. The least of them. I love that. I'll be serving Jesus. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42? He says, whoever gives one of these little ones, and he's talking about Christians. He says, whoever gives one a cold cup of water, he says, they will not lose their reward. Giving a cup of water is worthy of the king's reward. Friends, if we, get, if we think like this, it'll, it'll just not only change our lives, but it'll change this church. It will change this church. And What an awesome thing. The least of service, giving a cup to the least of them, the lowliest of brothers, is worthy of a reward from King Jesus. And you know 2 Corinthians 5.10 Every Christian must appear before the Bema seat. Why, do we have to, why does a Christian have to appear before the Bema seat of judgment? What's that about? Is that about sin? No, it's not about sin. What's it about? It's that we might be recompensed for the good deeds we have done, whether in the body or not. Whether we have loved and served the body or not. And I've often thought if there's shock and regret in heaven, it'll be right there. It'll be right there at the Bema seat. If there's shock, and regret. What will the shock be? The shock will be, it's true what Jesus said, the last will be first. You know, it's not going to be John Piper up at the front and John MacArthur up at the front and some preachers you've had and some deacons and elders and things like that. It's not going to be any of those guys. It's going to be somebody no one ever knew, some anonymous, unknown Christian, probably some little old woman up front because she loved the people around her and she loved her church. And she, she poured herself into it. And no one knew anything about it. No one, it was an invisible gift. But people benefited from it. It could just be being a prayer warrior. But Jesus saw it. <laughs> Jesus saw it. The last really will be first. And I think there will be regret because many of us will, will remember those times when we could have sacrificially loved and served and we did not. We're too busy. Isn't that bad? We're too busy. We're too busy to serve King Jesus. Friends, I, I want you to get this in your head. I really do. This is a big deal with God and I'm finished. One more thing I want to say. We talked about this last week. This is how big it is with God. You remember five, Matthew 5, 23, 24? Jesus says, if you're bringing your offering to the altar, 
that you remember that a brother has something against you, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Just keep worshiping me because I don't really care if it's okay in the body. Is that what God says? Or what does God say? God says, you, you stop worshiping me. You go to your brother. You go to your brother. You go to your brother. And you make it right. Then you come back and you worship me. This is what Jesus says. This is how big a deal it is with God. He says, hey, don't worship me if it's not right in the body. You go make it right, then you come back and you worship me. And you say, well, Jim, that all sounds well and good, but how far do I have to go with this? What is the Bible? How, how, far does, how far do I have to go with this? Surely there's some place where I can say, no, that's too far. I don't have to go that far. Well, you remember what Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8. He was rebuking the Corinthians for going to court with one another in secular courts. Then Paul says, this is to your shame. And then he says, why not rather be, someone tell me, wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? That's how far you go with it, Christian friend. That's how far you go with it. That's how far you go with it. I don't know how God could have made it much clearer to us. So I'm going to exhort you. I told you when we began this, this series, uh, and I'm going to t say it to you again, I'm going to exhort you to take your Christianity more seriously than you ever have before. To really love, to really serve, to really pour yourself out. Uh, when it's inconvenient, when it's hard, when it's awkward, when it's expensive to pour yourself out. Even if you are wronged and even if you are defrauded, you pour yourself out in this body because you're loving King Jesus and King Jesus will reward you. Jesus said, I will say to those, come you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them you did it to me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you. We love you. I thank you for this, this stirring exhortation. At least I'm stirred. I don't know if anyone else is, but I am. When we love and serve the body, we are loving and serving you. This is one of the, one of the beautiful things you're illustrating with this New Testament metaphor. This is brand new stuff. This wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. But we are one in Christ. We are one with Christ. And we're supposed to love each other like that. Lord God, help us, I pray. Help us to have that spirit Help us to get our minds right about this. May we be transformed and renewed and think properly about these things. Every single little thing we do is unto you. Everything we do in the body, it's for you. Lord, may we, may we come to understand that and may we live that very practically, very concretely, very pragmatically. Help us, Lord Jesus, learn these things. Help us to learn how to be a Christian in a biblical way and offer up our lives as living sacrifices for the glory of Jesus Christ in whose name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing chorus. I think I preached a little long and I apologize. I apologize. Uh,